And the word of the Lord says this. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. If you're a guest, we're grateful that you're here this morning. Um, before you leave, you will receive one of these. Please fill this out and just drop it in uh, the offering uh, bucket in the back. That's a way for us to just have contact with you to give you some information about what's going on here in the life of the church. So if you're new and you have not filled one of these out, please fill one of these out for us uh, before you uh, leave today. So they'll be in the back. Jack will hand them to you as you leave. I'll hand one to you. Before you leave, just take time to, to, hand, to uh, fill that out for us, please. Just two announcements, and then we'll jump into God's holy word together. Next Saturday night, here at the church, 4.30 to 8, we will have a family game night. This is a chance for all of us as families uh, of all ages uh, to come together just for a time of fellowship, to play uh, games, board games, card games, uh, ping pong, anything that you want to, uh, to find enjoyment. That's from 4.30 to eight, we ask that you would bring some finger foods, and then we'll supply um, some other stuff uh, for you as you come. And then lastly, uh, next Sunday after church, uh, right after church, there's a planning meeting that will help us plan for the rest of the year uh, to get us to Christmas time. So if you are part of a committee, a committee head, come with your calendars. We're going to put everything on our calendar so that we as a church have things uh, in order. Uh, so please mark your calendars for that. I want to pray over us and for us, and then we'll jump into James chapter 4. Uh, before the service uh, this morning, I was thinking and praying about us uh, and stumbled upon this prayer uh, from Jeremiah Burroughs. Jeremiah Burroughs was a very godly Puritan, and he, and he said this. He said, today, God, you've reminded me the distance between you and I. And without a mediator, I will forever perish. I want us to think about those words just for a moment this morning as I go and to pray. Without a mediator, Christ Jesus, we will perish. May God remind us of just how far we are from him. And without Christ Jesus, we will ever be that far. That's a, that's a prayer of gratitude for us this morning. Let's bow in prayer. God, in these quiet moments, I pray that those words from Jeremiah Burroughs would ring true in our hearts, and it would drive us to our knees in, as a place of gratitude, that without the mediator Christ Jesus, the distance between us and you would never be bridged. No amount of works that I would do, or anyone in this building would do, would bridge the gap between myself and you. But you sent your son, the greatest gift this world has ever known, to bridge that gap, to be the great mediator. And even in this moment, Christ Jesus, you were 
in the throne room of your Father, pleading on our behalf, mediating for us. And we pray that we would experience that mediation this morning. That as you're praying for us, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, our ears would be attentive to your holy word. That your holy word would do what only it can do. It would draw men to you and would sanctify those that you've already drawn to yourself. So I pray that. I pray that for myself. I pray that for everyone in this building. That we'd experience your mediation this morning. So lead us, guide us. We offer ourselves to you as a living and holy sacrifice. And all of God's people said, Amen this morning. Turn to James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Just two short verses. But here we are as we continue this study in the book of James, the letter of James. Remember, James is writing to the Jewish people. He's writing to the Jewish people who have been scattered all over the world and they're becoming discouraged in, in their walk with God and they're beginning to wander away from their walk with the Lord. And so James is pleading with them to return to their first love. And he says to them, you've got to return back to the faith that God had given to you. And in that faith, your life is going to look different, and therefore there's got to be works associated or tagged with your faith. And that's what he's been saying to us and sharing with us. The last few weeks, we've looked at this idea that James is warning the church about worldliness. The sad part is, in the world that we live in, in the church that we have, the world and the church oftentimes looks a lot the same, do they not? It's hard to distinguish who's in the world and who's of the world and who's in the church and who's of the church. And those things get pretty complicated and pretty muddy. And so James is saying to us, let us be clear of what we look like. He's going to return to us this morning. And this is one of those passages. And uh, for me, even this week, he's going to return back to the idea of the tongue. Like James, over and over, two other times already in, the, in his small little letter, he's addressing the, the people, the people of God, the church, about their tongue. Remember what he says in James chapter 1, 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. That's within the first 26 verses of the letter. He's saying to the people of God, if you think you have this relationship with God, it's really a religion that you have if your tongue is not bridled. If, if what you say isn't edifying, Paul will say later. And again, I'll say it for myself probably more than you. It's not just the words that come out of my mouth. It's the words that I entertain in my brain that may never come out of my mouth. And then he says this, remember we saw this a few weeks ago, James chapter 3, 6 through 10. He says this, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among all of our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. It is set on the, hell, the fire of hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed. And it has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Father, the Lord, and with it, we curse the people who are made in his likeness. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this thing ought not to be so among us. And so he's warning us again. He's going to come back and warn us again about our tongue or our speech. He's borrowing all this from the law. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16 through 18. James is referring back to the law of God. And he says this. This is what Moses was dictated by God to write in the law. He says this. You shall not go around as slanders among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's what slander does. Slander is a hatred in the heart. Again, remember, oftentimes we just think of the words that come out of our mouth. But here, all the way back in the Old Testament, the the writer from God says that it's about your heart. What's going on internally will always come out externally. He's saying to us, don't hate your brother. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, least incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus is referring to in the greatest commandment. This is the passage that Jesus himself is referring to. And so James now jumps back into how do we think and speak about one another. I'll read the passage again. He says this, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but, the, but a judge. There is an, only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and destroy. But the one who, but, but who are you to judge your neighbor? James is going to say to us in this passage, there's four things we must consider when it comes to how we use our tongue. He's going to say, consider first and foremost what you think about others. Then he says, now think about what you think about, about the law. And then he says, think about what you think about when you think about God. And then lastly, he says, what do you think about yourself? So others, the law, God, and self is what we must this morning sit and ponder. So just take a moment to do an inventory of your own life. Where does slander come into your life? Where do evil thoughts come into your life? And I pray, and my prayer is through the Holy Spirit this morning, He would bring both uh, correction, rebuke, and encouragement in those four areas. So let's dive into the text. The first one is this. We must consider how we think of others. This is James chapter 4, verse 11a. He says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. Four different times he uses words to refer to the church. One another, brothers, brother, and brother. So James, first out of the gate, is not talking to us about how we think of outsiders. 
He's saying, how do we think about one another in this building? The church. Is there any ill will within the body? Because James is saying to them, there is in your body a slanderous heart against one another. How do we treat one another? The word evil or slander means this. Because he says to us in the text, do not speak evil against one another. That, that word evil in the Greek means to slander one another. It means to speak critically of another person with the intent to harm or to hurt. I'm going to read that defini definition again when it comes to evil and slander. To speak critically of another person with the intent to harm or to hurt. Now where does that come from? The heart. Now again, it may not always be the words that come out of our mouth. But again, I want you to consider, I want you to think about all the words that don't come out, but you have an intention to harm or to hurt another person. And that is what James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying to the church, that ought not to be so among you. Let us not speak evil or slander one another. Why would he say that to us? He says that to us, I believe, for one reason and one reason only. Is not slander at the heart of it a judgmental spirit? Like when I slander someone, it says it later on in the text, I'm taking the seat of judgment on someone else. I think I'm better than someone else, and therefore I think I'm better than someone else. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to judge people, therefore I'm going to speak evil to people so I can put them down to exalt myself. But what did James just tell us in last week's passage? We ought to humble ourselves. So if we're speaking ill will to someone, there's no way we can be humble. Because we're exalting ourselves with our tongue or our thoughts. And James is saying we ought not to do any of that. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 about a judgmental heart. He says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with a judgmental, a judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Think about that for a moment. This is a terrifying passage. Jesus is saying, with the judgment that you judge someone else, that same judgment will be occurred unto you. Ouch. He goes on to say this. And the measure that you use that judgment, that measure will be put onto you. And then he says the famous verse that we all know. But remember the context of which Jesus is saying this. He's saying it within the moment of being judgmental. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But you do not notice the, what? The log that is in your, in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, own, your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the law out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is all in the context of judgment. And so what Jesus is saying to us, first let us judge ourselves. Let's do an examination of ourselves before we go and examine other people. And so Jesus is saying to us, let's do an inventory of our lives that we may have logs in our eyes that need to be removed before we look at, at the specks in everyone else's eyes. Now, what logs do you have in your eye? Again, I would say this. Oftentimes, the speck that we see in other people's eye is the very log that we do not see in our own eye. Because I want to judge you so I don't have to look at myself. So I'm going to look at you with really what's going on in my life so I can stay away from what's going on in my life. So I'm going to look at your life as a way to stay away from having to examine my life. Am I the only one? And Jesus is saying, and James is saying, we ought not to judge one another. Let us look at our own lives and then come to a place of confession of our own lives first and foremost. And then he goes on to say this, after we look at ourselves, based on how we look at other people, because it hinges on what he says in the next part of the passage. So the next part is, how do we look at the law? He says, the one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against what? The law. So when I judge other people, I'm placing myself in a place of judgment with the law, and I'm really speaking evil against the law. Well, what's the law? What is, Jesus, or what is James referring to in this passage when he says, we speak against the law and judge the law? What is the law that James is speaking about? It's one word. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34. Remember, the Old Testament is the law. It's full of how we are to live life and how we are to interact with God, ourselves, and other people. But then Jesus says this about the law in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says this, a new commandment I give you or a new law I give you. So he's going to take all the laws of the Old Testament. He's now going to sum it up and say, now there's one law above all those laws. Now, what's the law? He says it this way. A new commandment I give you, that you what? You love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Think about that for a moment. When we speak evil against one another, we are judging the law of love. If we love, well, I'll get this in the application, if we really love one another, there's no way we're going to speak evil against one another. So he's saying to us, James is saying to us, what do you consider about and how do you consider the law of love? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they're poking at Jesus. Don't... I wish someone would have said, don't poke the bear. Like, man, just leave him alone. 
You start poking Jesus, he's going to not just poke you back, but he's going to obliterate you without you even knowing. He's going to slice and dice you, and you're going to look at back. Man, what just happened? And so he says, okay, you really want to test me? Now I'm going to test you. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, that what? You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Again, love. Who are you loving? God. Then he says the next one is just like it. You, are, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying the law is the law of love. When we judge, we are not considering the law of, ju- uh, the law of love. We are considering the law of a judgmental spirit. And there cannot be harmony without love. Paul says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except one thing. So Paul says, Don't owe anyone anything, but if you're if you are to owe, owe one person one thing, what are we to owe that one person? He says this except that you love each other. For the one who loves one another has what? Fulfilled the law. A couple verses later, he says this in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So when we judge people, we're actually judging the law and we're saying that the law is not good, therefore I do not have to love. But James and Jesus and Paul says everything hinges on the law of love. Do you love the law? Is the law in you? Because if the law is in you, then love will come out of you. You see, the antidote for slander or speaking evil to one another is love. Love and slander cannot coexist. So if you have a slanderous, evil heart and motives, I'd consider where is your love? The next one is this. James says, after considering others, Considering the law, what do you consider true to be about God? That's what he says in verse 12. He now says, there's only but one law giver and judge, and he is able to save and destroy. Remember what he just said. You cannot be in the place of law giver and judge because there is one. And so when we're taking that seat of judgment, then we're really saying we don't trust who God is. And so who is God? James says, this is who God is. He he is two things, and he has two things in this passage that that his life will flow out of. The first one is this. He is the law giver. You and I are not the law giver. Thank God for that. And so what does it mean to be the law giver? The law giver simply means this. He puts the law into place. He is the author of, 
of all the laws, and in particular, the law of love. He is the one that thought it'd be best that the law, the greatest law, be love. How come? Because he is love. So he wrote it into practice. But not only did he write it into practice, he also now is the judge of the thing that he puts into practice. That's what it means to be the judge. You put into the law, and now the judge applies or upholds the law. Now, I went to court on Wednesday, and that judge had all power in the courtroom. But here's the deal about the judge. He's not the one that put the law into practice. He's just upholding the law. But God is the only one that both puts, writes the law and keeps its practice. Not you and me. We can't write laws, and we're not going to uphold laws. We don't have that power. So when we say, and we judge other people, we say to ourselves, no, now I'm the lawgiver and the judge of the laws I'm putting into place. So we got to consider what do we think about ourselves in light of who we think who God is. That's what we talked about last week. And then he says this. That's what God is doing. He's the lawgiver and he's the judge of the laws he's putting into practice. And now he says this about the power of both the lawyer, the lawgiver, and the judge. He says he can do two things because of that law. He can, therefore, destroy and save. That's what the text says. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and destroy. Do you believe that to be true about God? You and I can save nobody. And you and I can destroy no one. Do you believe that to be true about God? How does God and how is he able to save and destroy? It's based on his law. The law says this, that if you act against God and God's people, you will be destroyed. Now, we don't like thinking about God that way. But that is who God is. And how come God is that way? Because God is righteous and just. Thank God we have a righteous and just God who judges. But greater thanks to God who saves. He says, James says, how do you consider God? Do you consider him both the lawgiver and the judge? And do you consider his salvation and his judgment? Because this would be true for all of us if we really started considering who God really is. That he literally can destroy us. And it would be just, holy, and right. Because God's law says anyone who breaks the law is subject to condemnation and death. But thank God he's the law giver and the judge. And then he rewrote the law through his son Jesus. And how do you rewrite the law? It's what he says in John 3, 16. For God what? The greatest law. Love the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him will have eternal life. And so the law of love is the thing that saves us through Christ because he made what we would call uh, uh, atonement for our sins. He became the propitiation for our sins, that God in his goodness, kindness, put his wrath onto Jesus on the cross so that we would not be destroyed. He destroyed his own son so we would not be destroyed. That is what the cross shows us. It is the power of the destruction of God through his wrath, poured out his wrath on his son. So that we wouldn't have to. Like the cross is way more than a a piece of gold chain you wear around your neck. It is a symbol of God's ultimate love for us. And it's a symbol of God's wrath that was poured out so we would never have to see it, face it, or experience it. That is who God is. God is love. And then he says this in closing. It's what I read and prayed at the beginning. It's what Jeremiah Burroughs understood deeply. He really understood who he was. Because he says this, James, in the last half of verse 12, but who are you to judge your neighbor? That's a self-reflection question. He basically says, who do you think you are? And oftentimes, who do we think we are? Great, the best, God, untouchable. That's not who we are. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 6. For if anyone thinks he is something, he's nothing, and he deceived himself. Now I want you to think about yourself and how highly you think of yourself. Because it's with that place that you will then judge other people. I'd never do that. I couldn't do that. I won't do that. I'm better than that. Uh, On and on I go. Whatever, however your brain says it. And then we begin to judge other people because of where we think we've exalted ourselves. So now we're looking down on people and judging people. But the cross reveals to us who we really are. We are sinners apart from Christ. Paul says it this way. Before your salvation, you were enemies of God. That doesn't simply mean you don't like God. An enemy is someone who's actively pursuing to kill somebody else. If you're in the military, we got enemies, correct? It's not like, oh man, they're cool over there. Like they're actively coming against us. That's what it means to be an enemy. That's who you and I are apart from Christ. We are enemies of God. We're not neutral with God. We hate God. And apart from Christ, we will always do that. And so James is saying, remember where you come from. Remember where you'll go without Christ. You see, what's true about all of us We're one poor decision away from wrecking havoc on our lives and other people's lives. Now, that might not happen overnight, 
But if I'm headed this way towards Christ and one day I decide, nah, I don't want to really go that way. I'm just going to do one little step this way. Before we know it, we're way off into left field. We're like, what? How'd I get here? Because we thought we were more, thought of ourselves more highly than we ought. Which James goes back and says to us in James chapter 4 verse 10. The way that we don't think highly of ourselves is through one word. Humility. And what did we say last week? How do we stay humble? We stay humble by staying on our knees, confessing who we are in light of who God is. Who is God? God is love. And he's the lawgiver and the judge of the law. You and I are not. That ought to keep us humble. Like on Wednesday, when I went to the courtroom, I was first terrified and humbled. Because my life was in the hands of who? That judge. It didn't matter what I said or didn't say. At the end of the day, what that judge said or didn't say, he was going to write the script. No matter how fair I thought it was going to be. Again, all the facts are right there. But I had to humble myself and be in submission to the judge. I was both terrified and humbled. I left that courtroom thinking, do I feel this when I'm in the presence of God? Terrified and humble. Begging for God's mercy, begging for God's love, begging for God's grace. You see, when we get to that place of humility, we understand God's love. We won't speak, as he says, evil against one another. So this morning in closing, I ask this. How do you see other people? How do you see the law of God? How do you see God himself? Maybe most importantly out of all of them, how do you see yourself? Let me pray for us this morning.